0: 2 Peter, and um, we're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to finish it up, verses 12 and on. And um, I've enjoyed this study through 1 Peter. I'm excited for what God has for us in the rest of 2 Peter, but we're at a very critical point this morning in this study where Peter is going to finish up uh, giving us kind of an introduction. To what he's going to be talking about. The majority of 2 Peter is really about uh, battling false teaching, but before he gets there, uh, he's going to tell us what truth is and make sure we have a, a good understanding of truth. That's what is essential. That's what's necessary prior to us even considering false teaching or being able to recognize it. So, Uh, Real quick in review, it was was three weeks ago, I believe, when we first started this study in 2 Peter, and we learned that it is God's design for you and I, his his children, for those who have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, it is God's design that we live in grace and peace, that it be multiplied to us, verse 2, that's what chapter 1, verse 2 talked about, and that that comes one way, it only comes one way, it's exclusively through you and I. Having a full knowledge, a full knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we have that, we have everything. This is what he said in verse three. When we have that, we have everything we need to live life, uh, to live life and for godliness, for godly living. All right. So, and it was, I believe, two weeks ago before homecoming. A, a week right before homecoming, that we looked at the uh, up through verses eleven, and we saw that. Uh, Peter is going to remind us we have now a gift to give him. God gave us a gift, his grace in Jesus Christ. And uh, through our faith in him, we are called to progress in that faith. All right, we're, we're not to be content on rung one of this ladder of faith, which which is faith, but we are to add to our faith all these different things that talked about in verses uh, five through 11, that uh, what is true of us positionally in Christ needs to be true of you and I practically, in a practical way, we need to not be content to uh, just know Christ and uh, just have a home in heaven one day, but to make an impact for him here and now. And so there is a gift that we are to give him in response, not a trade. It's grace. All of his grace comes to us. But in response, you and I are to give all diligence. He said that a number of times in verses uh, 5 through 11. Now this week, God's going to have Peter remind us of these truths. And that's why we're going through this short little review here this morning. Um, because it is that truth, it is that full knowledge of the gospel, it is that uh, commandment that we are not to be content, but that we are to make progress in our relationship with him. Uh, It is that dedication to God's word that verses 1 through 11 uh, portrayed, us having that full knowledge, us having uh, these exceeding great and precious promises as verse 4 talks about, That uh, it is through that devotion to God's word that all of this is ours. That verses 1 through 11 talked about. That we can have an abundant existence. That one day we will have an abundant entrance in heaven. And that is why we are to uh, progress up this ladder of faith with abundant effort. And to lean on God's word. He's going to call us to have a passionate love for the word of God this morning. I hope you do. I hope it's greater in 45 minutes. All right, uh, he's gonna call us to have a priceless value for God's word this morning. And that, that is what is gonna strengthen your stand against sin. That is what is gonna strengthen your stand, Christian, against uh, false teaching that he's gonna talk about for pretty much the remainder of this book. Let's uh, look at Peter's final preparation, his final presentation, pointing you and I and these churches to truth. His final presentation of proclaiming the value of the Word of God. Let's read verses 12 to 21. It says, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think in me as long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first. That no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. All right, let's pray before we get into this this morning. Heavenly Father, as we look into these uh, verses here at the remainder of chapter one, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be here among us in uh, illuminating the truth of these verses. Uh, You've given us, that uh, you're calling us to uh, understand so that we can see how incredibly valuable your word is to our lives, how that it is truly all things, uh, totally sufficient, everything we need to live a life of godliness for your glory, for our good, to make the name of Jesus treasured in our world, not in just our lives, but in other people's lives when they see us. Lord, I pray that this morning we would all grow in dependence, in love, in passion for your word. Uh, It is something that we needed to be reminded of. We're going to see that. Lord, do not let a day go by this week where we're not reminded of how precious and valuable your word is to us. This is our prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's look. He's giving us a continual reminder, verses 12 and 13. All right, Peter's giving us a continual reminder. He says, first of all, he doesn't want to be negligent. He wants to do what God has commanded him to do. All right, and that's what the wherefore is, is there for. We'll say that. Anytime you see wherefore or therefore, it's you should look up to what you just studied. Well, for us, it was two weeks ago. All right, but um, it's definitely going to apply to the verse right before. It might apply to the whole book before, but um, this is what he's saying. We've already reviewed verses 1 through 11 in the introduction this morning, so we don't need to go through all that again. But uh, Peter is saying, because of the incredible importance of everything I've talked about in verses 1 through 11, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance. Do you see that word there in verse 12? Three times in like three verses here, he's going to say remembrance. I'm reminding you this, of these things. I know you know them. You're in Sunday morning, you're in church. If you didn't think the word of God was something to be valued, you probably wouldn't be here, right? But he's saying it's so important. It's so important. I'm going to put you in remembrance. I'm not going to be negligent, negligent. I'm going to give you a reminder here. Even though you know them. That's what he says in uh, verse 12. He's saying, church, I know you know <laughs> all these things I talked about in verse 11, but they're really important. They really are. I know you're established in them, but I'm reminding you, and and I would be negligent if I didn't remind you. Even though you know them, Dublin First Baptist Church, even though you're established in this truth, you know the gospel, we sang the gospel this morning, Uh, we're going to give it out later today, but I would be negligent, Peter's saying, and Jason is saying, I would be negligent if we didn't go through this on a continual reminder basis because you know why, I have the propensity to forget. Do you, from time to time, <laughs> how very valuable this is? I mean, if you ask me, I would say yes, it's not like that kind of forget. I have uh, the tendency to be distracted, do you? I have, um, I have a tendency to allow busy schedules to uh, make my practical devotion to this book not agree with what I say I believe about this book. I have a tendency to allow the urgency of the now and phone calls and you gotta do this and I didn't get this done on my to-do list to maybe take precedence over what I say I'm devoted to, which is my knowledge, is full knowledge of the gospel in this book. And so I I need a constant reminder. And I'm guessing if I'm that way, you're probably in the same boat, that you need constant reminders to turn to this and how valuable this is this is life, to give what's necessary in verse 13, not just to not be negligent. I don't want to be negligent, (laughs) all right, and I don't, uh, I want to give you what is necessary. Peter doesn't want to be negligent. He wants to see, he wants us to see how very necessary all these constant reminders are, because you and I live in a world with a lot of distractions, and so we need to be constantly pointed to the value of God's word, so that we make decisions based on it, so that we turn to it in dependence on it. He says uh, in verse 13, yea, I think it meet, or I think it's necessary. It's, it, this is what I need to do is give you these reminders. As long as I'm in this tabernacle or tent, he doesn't mean church. He means like his body. He's using a metaphor for his human body. Um, this, you see this. This is what you see when you see Jason. You don't really see the spirit part of Jason. Um, well, sometimes I hope you do, and it's because the Holy Spirit's active, right? But um, this is what you see, and this is my tent. This is my tabernacle, and one day I will put it off. Well, I don't know when, uh, but one day, and Peter says, he says here in verse 13, uh, as long as I'm in this Tabernacle, I'm going to keep not being negligent. I'm going to keep giving you what's necessary. Verse 13, I'm going to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. In a couple of verses, uh, Peter's going to express that it won't be long until he's not in the tabernacle anymore, and he won't have this opportunity. So time is really critical for him, and he's saying it's necessary that I stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Three times we hear that word remembrance here. And this is the necessity of public preaching. That's why we preach at Dublin First Baptist Church. This is a major part of our worship services, Sunday, Wednesday, preaching. But not just preaching, it's small group Bible study, what we're gonna do in about a half an hour when you go to your Sunday school classes, that is a constant reminder. It's what we're gonna do tonight, it's what we do on Wednesday. So public corporate worship, small group studies that you have throughout the week. And I pray your individual time in God's word as a family, Or individually, you need time in God's word. If you're really going to believe, it's you have a passion for God's word and see how valuable it is. You can't just get it from church together here. You're going to need to get some of it on your own. All right. And he's saying, I'm trying to stir you up by putting you in remembrance of these things. That stir you up word is kind of interesting. It's uh, the Greek word is dejiro and it means to shake you awake, shake you awake. Trying to shake you weight, and you can say, wait, what? I thought they were, they knew this stuff. And we do. They, I thought they were established. They were, and we are. But look, Satan is waging uh, 168 hour a 168-hour-a-week war on you to keep you distracted. He's trying to lullaby you to sleep, He's trying to rock you into complacency, to rest in your present knowledge of God. You're going to heaven, right? Christian, you're going to heaven. You got that taken care of. You're doing good. You're better than a lot of those people you work with. He's saying, no, have a passionate love for God's word. Be devoted to God's word. This is where strength's going to come. Don't be content with wrong one Christianity where you're on faith. Well, I'm on the ladder. I'm going to heaven. But you're to add all these things and have an abundant entrance. What verses 10 and 11 have told us? that make our calling and our election sure. We have this confidence from God, from his grace, and that is why he's shaking us awake this morning. Peter is. He says, here, I want to stir you up, shake you awake by putting you in remembrance. It's necessary that you and I be poked and prodded sometimes to not just being awake. Have you ever seen someone that was awake but they really weren't there? Right. Have you ever talked to someone and you were talking to them and they were texting or something You're like, yep. Wow. Crazy. I'm telling them a story. <laughs> you know, they're not listening to you. We're, we're not just to be awake. We need to be alert. We're told to be in first Peter five to be sober and vigilant because our our adversary, this enemy, Satan, is walking about like a roaring lion and we can't just be present. We have to be passionate about God's word here. This is what he's talking about. That's what Peter is asking of us, and I pray that you uh, would pray for me in that same way that we'd all, and I will pray for you that we'd all be passionate, and from this pulpit and from the Sunday school classrooms, pray for your Sunday school teachers that God's word would go out and people would respond, but church, you can't just depend on that. You need it daily in your lives you need a devotion to his word daily in your lives when you can't do it because of the urgency of the now when you can't you know what life got hectic today don't beat yourself up over it but i pray that you feel like man i missed god's word today please i pray that you miss it and then the next day you reorganize that schedule and say i don't care what i got to drop off i'm getting back into it this is the dependence this is the passion that peter's saying we need to have for god's word you know and then he talks about his coming resurrection In verse 14 to 18, he says, Knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. This is Peter's expectation. He expected that he would die for Jesus Christ. Do you know why? Jesus told him he would die for Jesus Christ. (laughs) If you remember Dr. White's message about, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Jesus, I love you. He says, feed my lambs. And then he says, Peter, do you love me? He said, Jesus, I already told you I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. And then he says, Peter, do you love me? I told you, Lord, I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. In that same passage, a couple verses later, God says, Peter, you're going to die for me one day, just just like me, like literally just like me. Now, the record is that Peter asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to be crucified like Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, that would be a, a rather quick, form, since it's a suffocation form of death, if you're going to do it upside down, you're going to go pretty quickly, but he was, and he knew this, he knew he was going to give his life for Christ completely, and so he's really urgent here, he says, knowing that shortly I must, I know this, the same level of knowledge he's been saying we need to have for the gospel, he says, I know that pretty soon, I don't know exactly when, but I know what's going to happen, because Jesus told me it was going to happen. There's a timeline to his ministry, and here's the thing. There's a timeline to my ministry and your ministry. You have a ministry. If you're a Christian, you have a ministry. You have the same ministry I have. We are to reconcile people, to be used of God, to reconcile people to God. We're to be used of God to make the name of Jesus treasure wherever we go, and there's a timeline to that. I don't know when I'm gonna go, or when he comes back. I prefer that part, all right? (laughs) But I don't know when I'm gonna go, or when he's gonna come back, do you? We don't. There's a timeline to our ministry there's not a moment to waste in indifference in being asleep and not being passionately uh, devoted to God's word there's not a moment our lives are at stake our faith is at stake it's uh, time is of the essence I don't know when my final moment will be it's often when I come up here like preparing the final days Friday or Saturday before a message I This might be it. This might be the last message you hear from me. I knew a guy who had a heart attack on the pulpit, and he lived. He was mentally disabled the rest of his life. That was the last message. You just don't know when. We don't know when. To God be the glory. I'm not going to live in fear over it. I trust him, but I need to be urgent (laughs) about these things. There's got to be some urgency. There shouldn't be any indifference. There's not a moment to waste. Time is of the essence because... um, Life is at stake. God's glory is at stake. Not just mine, but for my wife, or my, you know, your kids, for people around you. Everyone God has given you to influence. Jesus Christ, St. Augustine said this early church father. He said, Jesus Christ has promised grace for your repentant faith, but he's not promised tomorrow for your procrastination. He's not. Grace always be there. right, but he's not promised that you have tomorrow to turn to that grace. Do it today. Do it today. Peter's endeavor in verse 15 to 18, he says, Moreover, I will endeavor. Same word that he told us in verses 1 to 11. Same word in the Greek for um, where it says, uh, giving all diligence in the King James or in some of these newer versions, uh, make every effort. This is what he says here, I'm giving all diligence, I'm making every effort, verse 15, moreover, I will endeavor, I'll do all those things, just like I've called you to do, I'm going to do, that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. I want a written record of what what I believe, and he gave it to us, God gave it to us. We have a written record of what is important. In verses 1, chapter 1, it's God's word. These are the exceeding great and precious promises. We have everything we need to live a life for God's glory, to live out our Christian faith through God's word. And Peter's like, I want you to have a record of that, so I'm giving all diligence to give this to you. All right, That's Peter's endeavor. He's like, I'm going to die soon, but I want want to have a legacy. Is that your perspective on life and death? I mean, it could happen. I, I hope that's not the case, but you could go to eternity today. Is your number one thing making sure that Jesus will be glorified even after you go? Because of what you've done here and now. That's Peter's primary concern. He's so all about God's word in this chapter, but especially in this last 12 verses or so, uh, he's so all about God's word. He says uh, in Verse 15, I want to endeavor that you remember these things. And verse 16, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. That's his first pointing to what he's going to talk about in the rest of this book. False teaching. You know what he calls them here? They're cunningly devised fables. They're stories. They're myths. It's not gospel truth. What we have here is the truth revealed from God. He says, I didn't give you that. I didn't give you cunningly devised fables. We didn't make this up. Now let me tell you the power behind the power of God's word. He says, when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's a beautiful description of the gospel. The power of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says it is in Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. That's what Peter says it is. It's the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's returning again. And we were eyewitnesses of that. Peter says, I saw it with my own eyes. Do you ever wish you could? Like, I mean, that you lived back then, you got to see Jesus. I can't wait to see him again. I do kind of envy Peter. And Peter says, I envy you, because it's amazing. He says that later. Uh, he says, do you know that um, it's remarkable that you love Jesus, and you've never seen him? Peter is, like, astounded by our faith, because he's like, you never seen him, and you guys love him. Like, I saw him. That's what he's talking about here. I was eyewitnesses. Now, verses 17 and 18 are going to talk about uh, the transfiguration. We, we don't have, in the Gospels, it mentions the transfiguration of Jesus. Uh, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the mountain, and there they saw him glorified. We have very brief descriptions. Uh, if you want to read about it, Mark 9, 2 through 9 is where it talks about Jesus being transfigured. And what it is, is it's, they caught a glimpse of his coming kingdom. They see Jesus in like white, white robes, almost like Revelation, what John saw in Revelation. They got up there and they saw that and they didn't really know how to respond. They were a little afraid. They didn't just see Jesus, they saw Moses and Elijah up there too. And then they heard God. God's presence was there in an auditory way. He's gonna describe this here. And that transfiguration's a powerful thing. It had to have some impact in Peter's life. He says here in verse 17, for he received from God the Father, Jesus, honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, that's what the King James has it as some versions uh, say, I think the majestic glory, like he's like, I don't even know how to describe God, but it was majestic glory and uh, Jesus was illuminated there. I don't know what else he saw, but it was definitely pointing to his coming kingdom when he comes to reign, when he returns and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. They heard that voice again, just like they heard when the Holy Spirit came on him at his baptism. Verse 18, and this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. All right, so they're talking about the transfiguration, and Peter's like, "This was an incredible experience. Let me tell you, I was an eyewitness of it. James saw it, John saw it. It was incredible." And you might say, "Well, you know what? If I saw something like that, I'd probably believe in Jesus too." No, you wouldn't. That's not what. That's what Jesus said. He said as much. The Pharisees said, "I want to see a sign, then I'll believe." Jesus said, "Don't matter how many signs I do, you won't believe, because your heart doesn't want to believe." that's not faith that's proof you know it's not faith that's that's how you come to me is by grace through my faith no you want it yeah and here's the thing Christian you have seen him (laughs) we have what Peter didn't have he's going to really highlight this in a minute you have seen him Christian you have heard him in a way that Peter didn't get to while he was here on earth all right you have seen him Peter communicates this account because look it was powerful Can you even imagine? I'm trying to put myself in that place and, like, I don't really understand. I read through in the Gospels all the transfiguration passages and I'm just like, they're kind of like revelation to me. I can't, it's hard to wrap my mind around them. I can't wait to see Jesus and his return and his coming in that time of peace, but it's difficult to. But Peter's like, guys, this was so incredible. This is what he's saying here. It was powerful and it was wonderful and it should move you and I to wonder even if we can't understand it. But here's the thing, experience, even from an eyewitness account like Peter had, it's a poor form of evidence compared to the reliability of this book right here. Peter's experience was awesome, it was. And and you know what? Our experiences with Christ, our testimony when when Jesus came, and I've heard some of them, they're important, but they're a poor substitute for the reliability of this book. This is what Peter's going to tell us now. This is what God tells us through, Peter. Now, Peter's saying, look, this was cool. It really was. It was an amazing experience when this happened. And I've got to tell you about it because it reinforces everything I'm telling you and I'm about to tell you. But then Peter says, this, this right here, this is where it's at. Not my experience up there on the mountain with Jesus. That was incredible. But this, this is a more sure word. This is everything. That's what he said in verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge. Do You see in this first chapter of Peter how many times it talks about knowledge. And how many times it talks about um, exceeding great and precious promises. <laughs> even now I'm putting you into remembrance and a more sure word what is the focus of peter first peter chapter or second peter chapter 1 it's the word of god he's pointing us to the word of god and this is what he says here in verse 19 my experience was incredible when i saw jesus transfigured i heard god's voice I saw moses and i saw elijah but you know what we have we have a more sure word of prophecy and you and I have the completed word. Peter never had the completed word of God. He was still being used of God to write it. But you and I, we have seen Jesus. We've had, we have the completed word of God. We have what can give us victory in Jesus. We have a crucial resource. All right. And so first of all, the sufficiency of God's word. And that's what verse 19 is all about. We've got a more sure word. Aren't you glad you have a sure word? In a world where there's a lot of things that aren't sure, you don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know if you'll be here tomorrow. But you've got a sure word. You've got something you can rely on. We've already read verse 3. Verse 3 and 4. All things that pertain to life and godliness. We have a sure word. It's not like Peter's experiential knowledge of the transfiguration. As amazing as that was, it relied on Peter's eyes and ears and his senses. From a fallen man, not this. We have a sure word, the very word of God that we hold in our hands, that we have before us. I hope we do. It's sure. And he says here, "Whereunto you do well that you take heed? And that's a beautiful thing, especially in the Greek. It's a progressive verb. We don't get that in the English translation because it doesn't carry over that way. But he's saying, you're doing well, keep taking heed. And that's the message for Dublin. You're doing well. I know your love for the word of God. I know how committed Dublin First Baptist Church is as a whole to the Word of God. Please keep being committed, especially with false teaching coming your way, especially as the end is drawing near, especially in times of persecution like they're experiencing. He's saying, you're taking heed. You're doing well. Please keep on. Because you know why? It's like a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn. Do we live in a dark time? We do. We need a light. I live in White Oak. There's not a lot of light out there at night, <laughs> so when I oh I forgot the coffee cup in the car and I got to go out and get it, you know I got to have a light. And there's because there's funny noises in the woods, right? <laughs> no. We need a light in that dark place. And this is what we have here. This is what David said in Psalm 119. A 23 verse stands up. We sang standing on the promises. I think they had four, right? It might have more in a handbook, I don't know, but it had four. But Psalm 119 is 23 stanzas. Do you know what the entire thing is about? How you and I should value God's word, how we should passionately love God's word. David wrote 23 stanzas of how much he loved God's word. Same same theme, every song, his son, uh, in Proverbs 6.23, Solomon says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light, and the reproofs, reproofs of instruction are a way of life. David said in Psalm 119:105, 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet, it's a light to my path. We need to be dependent on it if we're going to navigate in this dark world. We need the light when we hear funny noises in our woods. All right, we need that light and god's given it to us until that day when the day star when jesus christ i love that that word for jesus that name for jesus until that day when he arises in our hearts and it's all done and then we won't need the word because we'll have the word in our presence forever uh, right there with us you know god's words are guide god had paul instruct the roman church in romans 12 2 that we are to be renewed right our mind is to be uh our life is to be transformed that this is how you present your body as a living sacrifice you do it by being transformed through the renewing of your mind that comes from God's Word now he says in verse 20 knowing this that's the sufficiency of God's Word it is there it is literally all things you need it will meet every need you have that's what God says here verses 3 and 4 and verse 19 then he says this but knowing this here's the integrity of God's Word no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, when we think of interpretation, we d- typically think of like, well, what I get out of this is this and what, that's application, all right? Because there's a critical thing to remember here. Um, scripture is not of any private interpretation. It's not, it has one meaning. From Genesis to Revelation, this has one meaning. Now, we need to strive to figure out that meaning and we can have different applications, all right? John Calvin said that uh, if scripture has more than one meaning, it has no meaning at all god gave us one meaning he wants us to know what it is all right and so uh different applications yes but that's not even what it's talking about here Uh, actually the greek word means inspiration like how it came about it means being born so it's not even really talking about interpretation here it says knowing this verse that no prophecy of scripture is of any private inspiration these men didn't come up with it god gave it to them that's what he says in verse 21 for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man they weren't like Let's make a really incredible story, change the world. Let's work really hard to get 66 different books to all agree with each other. Not gonna happen, it's the word of God. He gave it to you. It's not of human ingenuity. That's literally what that word interpretation means. It's inspired from God. He tells us here, holy men of God spake and wrote as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They were born. All right, this book was born when the Holy Ghost was born and they wrote word for word what he told them to write. Not dictation, they had their own style, their own influences, we can see that. All right, but every word being the very word of God. That's what you have before you today. I hope you do. That's what you have in your home. I hope you do. That's what you have on your phone. I hope you do. (laughs) This is what we are called to be dependent on The sovereign creator of the universe has given us his word. He's revealed himself. He's revealed who you and I are, what he demands of us, what he has done for us. We literally have everything that pertains to life and godliness right here. Now, what will you do with it? We know this truth from 1 Peter. This is the whole first chapter. What will you do with it? What are you doing with it? How will you use this gift? Do you remember two weeks ago when we talked about that? God had given us this gift and you're like, hmm, is that how you want to treat a gift from God? Like, nice, but how will you use it? If we really believe that all things for life and godliness come from our knowledge of this, how will you use it? You know, we say we're Baptists, right? That's what it says out there on that sign and we're part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Do you know what we call ourselves? People of the book. Am I? I mean, if like somebody said, if they looked at my life on a Monday through Monday basis, could they go, definitely is, person of the book. A little crazy, devoted to God's word so much that they cannot go a day without being in it. they talking about it wherever they go. They have it on in their car. It's coming through in music. It's on the screensaver on their computer. It's all over the place. Refrigerator they got sticky things on their wall at home, in their workplace, little calendars. It's everywhere. Are you a person of the book? That's what we're told to be. Well, we believe and act on the words of God through Peter, that this is a sure, guiding gift from God. It's everything we need for life and godliness. 962 years ago and five days, 962 years, five days ago, William Tyndale died for you to have this book. He was strangled while being tied to a stake and his body was lit on fire. You know what he did? He translated the Bible into English. He was willing to die for it. Are you willing to be dependent on it every day? This gift that God's given you. We have a new new appreciation for it. A new affection for it. Instead, this is where I struggle. And we're closing this. Tommy's going to come and um, we're going to have a closing hymn. But... Do you know, when I treat this like, yeah, I know I need to be in that, Jason, when I treat it like a demonstration of discipline, like me going to HealthWorks, I fail. When I start seeing this, my, my dependence on this, the level of need I have, and instead of it being a demonstration of discipline, it being a declaration of dependence, God, I need you, like I need food, like I need air, that's when I have the right perspective on my need for this book. As God's calling you to respond today, I ask you obey. Give him glory. Give him thanks for his word.